And now, let me tell you something important. Cyber criminals are evolving. Their techniques and tactics are more advanced, intricate, and dangerous than ever before. Industries and governments around the world are fighting back, unveiling new regulations meant to better protect data against its rising threat. Today, the world of cybersecurity compliance is a complex one, and understanding the requirements your organization must adhere to can be a daunting task. But not when the pack has your back. Arctic Wolf, the leader in security operations, is on a mission to end cyber risk by giving organizations the protection, information, and confidence they need to protect their people, technology, and data. Their new interactive compliance portal helps you discover the regulations in your region and industry and start the journey toward achieving and maintaining compliance. Visit arcticwolf.com slash data science to take your first step. That's arcticwolf.com slash data science. Welcome back to another episode of Data Sunset on Podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Amethyx Technologies based in Brussels City, Belgium. Today we speak about probably one of the most important methodologies or techniques or technologies, whatever we want to call it, that actually allows large language models to run and be retrained fast. And uh, there is a, uh, a lot of activity there, uh, a lot of research, um, but there is one particular method that comes from already two years that the paper is out. Um, and uh, in this episode, I would like to kind of reveal the secret, <laughs> if there was a secret, um, about how, for example, uh, large corps like OpenAI and, and others can provide uh, large language models uh, in production for millions of people and can retrain these models over and over again. Uh, in fact, we're going to see that it's not fully retraining these models. That's where the, the secret sauce is. And how can these models stay up to date with the uh, uh, with whatever is going on in the world, because you know fresh data always get in, and of course this model need to be uh, let's say tuned and fine tuned uh, as it is the uh, actual word in the jargon. Uh, but these are big beasts, you know. These are 175 billion parameter models or even more. How is it possible that this model can get retrained uh, constantly with minimal effort? In this episode, I will also take the chance to um, make some of you more and more familiar with the large language model topics, because um, this is something that, in my opinion, is going to stay here for a while. And uh, it would be wise uh, from many of you to, you know, get into the nitty gritty of how these things work and, um, and why they actually work. Because, you know, as always, there's no magic. There's no AGI, there's no religion behind deep learning and behind artificial intelligence. There is mathematics and there is, of course, linear algebra and there is optimization, there is computer science. So uh, I hope that I make a decent job to explain all these things. Of course, don't take this episode as, uh, you know, the exhaustive coverage of these topics. These topics are quite complex, even more complex when you have to explain uh, behind a microphone and you know without whiteboards or blackboards uh, without anything visual so you know i'll take this challenge and i hope i can uh, i can do a decent job about that so the problem of large language models is that indeed well they are large and uh, uh, 175 billion parameters is a number that you know we could not conceive until a few months ago 
many of the models we were running at home or uh, in our, um, let's say, job work infrastructure or uh, AWS or whatever cloud service of our employer were in the domain of several millions, probably, uh, definitely not the billion uh, number of parameters. So with with the uh, chat GPT, in fact, uh, kind of we, we, we broke that that glass and uh, I'm not sure we're going to go ever back. Uh, and that's a you know, that's a good thing because um, now there is a trend to, you know, how to make these models smaller, in fact. So we know that if we increase the number of parameters, uh, the model becomes more, let's say, powerful. And that's something that, of course, you know, more data, more parameters, more degrees of freedom, and and definitely more sophistication in the answers that a large language model, in the case of NLP, of course, uh, can give. Um, but of course, uh, the bigger the model, the less, um, let's say, scalable the model is. Um, and of course, uh, you know, also from an ethical perspective, there is a way to, let's say, keep other companies out of the competition, out of the AI competition, um, because there is one going on as we speak. Um, and, and so that only the big players, only the usual suspects who have you know, financial capacity and also infrastructure capacity can actually do research and can actually bring results to the world of AI, which I don't find it fair um, because, you know, we kind of signed that agreement, non-written agreement about the democratization of data science back in the days, and this is clearly not happening. So there is, fortunately, mathematics that comes to the rescue and computer science that come to the rescue uh, when, uh, whenever we deal with uh, big models like GPT-3, for example. Again, 175 billion parameters. Uh, and this rescue as a name, uh, which is a low-rank adaptation or LoRa. And uh, the LoRa methodology is essentially uh, probably one of the most important um, let's say, methodologies that are behind kind of the powerhouse of, uh, uh, of the, these big models. And of course, the reason why these models can be actually fine-tuned constantly with minimal effort. And by minimal effort, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's, it's definitely, it's thousands of times less the number of parameters, number of trainable parameters that you uh, have to indeed retrain or fine-tune. So, what is LoRa? LoRa is, first of all, uh, comes from a paper that is already two years old, almost two years old, um, developed by some researchers at Microsoft. And uh, there is an official paper on archive. I will uh, report, as always, the link in the show notes of this episode at datascienceatome.com. Uh, and the title of the paper is LoRa, Low Rank Adaptation of Large Language Models. Uh, Microsoft Corporation is, of course, the you know uh, the institution where this uh, methodology was uh, was indeed experimented and created or invented. Um, and uh, of course, there are many other concepts that come from uh, you know even earlier than 2021. Uh, for example, the concept of transformers uh, that is even older than that. It comes from Google uh, in 2017. And it's quite, you know, weird to see Google, you know, kind of lagging behind in this uh, AI race or, or chat GPT slash LLM models race um, <laughs> when they actually invented the transformer, which is uh, one of the most used 
um, architectures in large language models today. So, you know, it's kind of weird, um, but it is what it is. Uh, this means, you know, this happens when research is um, publicly available and, of course, everybody can, everyone can uh, enjoy, uh, download the paper and implement and improve it and uh, uh, create new stuff on top of that research. Um, you know, that's the beauty of research. Um, I don't see it as a problem. I see it as a healthy competition that, you know, keeps raising the bar and keeps improving things. So that's, uh, in my opinion, a very good thing. Now, what is the problem? Well, the problem is that, as I said, uh, when you have a large language model and uh, in general, when you have a deep learning model and this model is indeed very large in terms of number of parameters, what we were used to do, uh, even in computer vision, for example, uh, when we had um, several years ago, like a model, a classifier or a object recognition model that uh, was trained initially on, you know, general purpose images. And so this model had, for example, several dozen layers um, that moved let's, essentially the intermediate representation from the pixel representation to all the hidden layers of the model until, of course, the label or the index in the dictionary of what was the object representing in that image, right? So when you have a model like that, um, you know, these models usually were used to be very large models, right? Uh, several hundreds of millions of parameters and the convolutional filters and convolutional neural networks, essentially. Uh, but the same applies, of course, to recurrent neural networks and um, uh, LSTMs, large language models uh, for NLP and, uh, and the like. So you know, this is a, a general concept. Um, so what happened is that when you had to, let's say, move from one domain to, to another, so from recognizing general purpose images to, for example, health um, uh, medical images or, or, um, or, or satellite images or something even more specialized, uh, for example, in industry, um, what you did essentially was uh, using so-called transfer learning. Um, that is, you know, there was a, te a technique to essentially move, uh, you know, maintain some of the layers, especially usually the, the, the initial layers, and retrain, retrain the others, uh, the, the remaining layers until the output, right? So that's what we were used to do, and, uh, and that worked pretty well. The problem of that, you know, technique was that, uh, of course, when you had, let's say, 10 different domains, uh, in fact, you had 10 different models, because you have yet to maintain the entire um, set of layers and you know with new weights uh, and you have to store the initial weights and the new weights all together um, and you know if you threw away one of the weights one of the the two or the ten models well you just had one model less so what i'm saying is that there was no way to uh you know retrain just a tiny bit of the uh, of the weights uh, of the initial model and then uh, you know move and transfer the knowledge to the uh, to the other sector to the other domain and uh, as you can imagine and understand uh, with LoRa you can do exactly that um, so you can essentially extend uh, the model uh, by with a tiny amount of information with a tiny amount of um, uh, weights in fact uh, as I will explain in a bit and of course, maintain in the case of an of um, of a language model, um, the you know the same usable sequence length uh, for the input. Of course, at the same time, when you retrain or re or fine tune this model, uh, these models, 
you also don't want to lose accuracy. Uh, that you know that's normal. And at the same time, you don't want to increase inference time. So by extending a model with additional parameters, uh, you know, in, at inference time, that is when the model is actually predicting or generating, depending on the nature of the model, uh, you know, adding more, let's say, parameters and more uh, matrix uh, product and, and whatever happens at different time, uh, you have essentially more calculations to do. So you don't want to do that. And so how can, uh, you know, how can we get, in fact, the best of both worlds, which means we don't want to retrain the model from scratch. And at the same time, we don't want to lose accuracy. And we want to maintain the same length of the context and, uh, uh, you know, the model's usable sequence length when it comes to, uh, to language models. So how can this be? Um, magic? Uh, AGI? Not at all. Mathematics. So before explaining uh, how the LoRa metho methodology works, um, I need to explain a bit what is uh, what low rank means, okay? Um, because in fact, the LoRa approach, uh, low rank uh, adaptation, uh, you know, enforces and and uh, exploits uh, at it in ex exploits as much as it can the concept of low rank matrices. A low rank matrix is simply a matrix for which the number of uh, linearly independent rows or columns uh, is much smaller than the number of rows or columns. <laughs> and so uh, when, when, uh, when you have a matrix with a lot of linearly, uh, linearly independent rows and columns, you know, it means that factorizing that matrix becomes more expensive. Uh, and so when you have a matrix where the number of independent rows and columns is much smaller than the size of the matrix itself, well, it means that there is, uh, you know, a lot of room to factorize this matrix in a very efficient way. Uh, and when you factorize matrices from an algebraic perspective, uh, all the other uh, matrix operations become, let's say, very easy and, uh, and very fast because the matrix is a low rank matrix. Uh, of course, you know, if you want to know more about low rank matrices and linear algebra, there are way better sources. Uh, probably you can start from Wikipedia and many of the references there uh, or find some calculus book if you're really interested in this amazing uh, uh, field, uh, which is, uh, in fact, you know, the core of any machine learning operation out there. Uh, so, you know, when you when you don't know linear algebra, in fact, you are missing a big part, a big piece of, uh, you know, of everything, in fact, from from logistic regression to, to deep learning to chat GPT to whatever you build on top. OK, now, of course, this um, LoRa method uh, can be applied, can be applied to any dense layer uh, in deep learning models. Uh, though, you know, the authors initially focused on uh, certain weights in the transformer language models only. And in particular, they ran experiments and performance benchmarks on uh, chat GPT, on, on sorry, on GPT-3, uh, 175 billion parameters, because that was at the time, uh, you know, the most advanced model, though no longer. Uh, but, you know, all these things apply easily uh, to all other models out there. This is a, a mathematical concept. It's not something that is specific to any language model in particular. Hey there, let's talk about finding a job that's not just challenging, but also rewarding and fun. And if you're a software engineer looking to make an impact, then you'll want to hear about Bloomberg. 
They're building the world's most trusted information network for financial professionals, and they need engineers like you to join them. As someone who's been in the tech industry for a while, I know how hard it can be to find the right employer. But when I stumbled upon Bloomberg, I was blown away by their commitment to building a diverse workforce full of fresh perspectives. Any engineer looking for an appealing and beneficial career should consider Bloomberg. So why Bloomberg? Well, you'll be part of a team that builds tools to help the world's leading business and finance decision makers. You'll work with some of the brightest minds in the industry to develop solutions that are relied on by more than 350,000 financial professionals around the globe to make critical business decisions. And let's not forget that great engineers love a challenge. At Bloomberg, you'll solve complex real-world problems for customers across the globe capital markets, from real-time market data to sophisticated analytics, powerful trading tools, and more. Bloomberg engineers work with systems that operate at scale. Lastly, Bloomberg believes in using the right tools for the job. The majority of their software is built in C++, JavaScript, TypeScript, and Python. And Bloomberg engineers are active members of the open source community. So, if you are a software engineer looking for an exciting and fulfilling career, head over to Bloomberg.com careers to learn more. That's Bloomberg.com careers. So we all know that a neural network contains many dense layers um, and, you know, they perform matrix multiplication. Essentially, when you run a neural network uh, in training mode or in inference mode, what happens behind the curtain is that you're doing matrix multiplications, right? Um, now, especially in inference time, you have an input. The input is transformed into uh, a matrix most of the time. And this matrix is uh, multiplied uh, with other matrices that are representing the inner layers of the network. And you can have hundreds of these layers, um, sometimes even thousands of these layers. Uh, and so at the end, what, you know, by multiplying a matrix with another and another, you get, you know, result of different, of course, matrix dimension until the output, which is, you know, depending on your specific task, which is called the downstream task, uh, that can be a probability, that can be a vector representing probabilities, um, it can be uh, a, a label, so it can be an index, uh, it can be anything. Uh, and so... Uh, it doesn't matter what it means, as long as it is a vector, um, usually a column vector, a row vector, even a matrix, uh, that is the output of all these matrix multiplications that you have performed from input to output, right? Now, what happens when you look at a matrix, um, you know, a pre-trained weight matrix, um, we'll call it W0, um, it has a certain dimension, it has a certain size and it has a certain rank. So the key observation from the author of the paper, Laura, um, is that, well, they observed that pre-trained language models usually have a low intrinsic dimension um, and they can still learn efficiently, uh, regardless of a random projection to a smaller subspace. So this means that even by projecting to a much smaller um, dimensional space, uh, these models usually do not lose accuracy, uh, generally speaking. And, um, and so by using this um, intrinsic, um, uh, sub intrinsic dimension, it is usually 
much lower than the initial dimension, uh, you know, they kind of got inspired, I think, uh, with the so-called intrinsic rank uh, for for the weight matrices. So a hidden layer, a hidden layer of a neural network uh, is represented by usually a matrix uh, W, which is the matrix of the weights, uh, which we'll call W0, for example. And um, during training, uh, of course, this W0 receives uh, constant gradient updates uh, via backpropagation, and then via backpropagation, these weights get changed accordingly. And of course, when you retrain a, a network, usually what you do is, uh, you know, recalculating the gradients, re-updating the gradients, and of course, backpropagating everything again. So, you know, effectively, you are retraining or continuing the training uh, from W0 and re-up and update essentially the weights of, of that matrix. But what you what they found is that you can actually reparameterize uh, this W. So for a pre-trained weight matrix W0, the author's constraint its updates by representing uh, this matrix with a low rank decomposition uh, that is usually uh, represented as B dot A, uh, where you know, B and A are essentially multiplied with the same input. And so when you can represent a, a, a weight matrix W as an initial uh, uh, pre-trained matrix W0 plus B dot A, uh, what happens is that you can essentially retrain only a subset of all the parameters. In fact, a very tiny number of parameters, which is BA instead of W. So instead of W0. So W0, which is the pre-trained uh, uh, weight, uh, weight matrix, is in fact untouched. Okay, once it is trained once, you never retrain it again. Uh, what you do is essentially training uh, another vector or another matrix, uh, we'll see where exactly, uh, which go under the name of B.A, uh, and that's it. So when you change, in fact, sector, or when you change domain, or when you want to fine-tune your model, the only thing that you have to retrain is BA. And this can be done, you know, this is a very quick operation with very little memory overhead, because B and A are much smaller than W itself. And so imagine that when you have W0, this is the initial set of parameters, uh, you can get your new W for your new downstream task by simply doing W0 plus B A, or plus B prime A prime, or plus B two A two, or whatever is your number of domains. So in fact, if you have a hundred domains, the only thing you ha you have to add to your storage is hundred times B A, and you keep the same W zero, which is the initial pre-trained uh, weight uh, weight matrix of your model, which is which is in the case of ChatGPT huge. So you take it once. You get it once, you store it once, and then with a simple uh, linear operation, uh, you you know update your new W uh, by using W0 plus BA. One can, in principle, apply LoRa to any subset of weight matrices in a neural network uh, in order to reduce the uh, number of trainable parameters. Uh, but as I said, in their uh, paper, um, they applied only uh, to the transformer architecture, um, and in particular, uh, they only studied the attention weights uh, for downstream tasks, and they froze the 
uh, multi-layer perceptron uh, layers or modules. So these are not retrained in downstream tasks. And you know they did that just for simplicity. At the end, this was a research paper. They just had to prove that you know the method works and uh, and it can be generalized. Now uh, it will be probably future work to generalize this methodology to other uh, layers and to uh, pretty much any other weight matrix of a neural network. So what are the benefits of this uh, of this approach? Well, definitely you reduce memory. The memory that you need definitely the storage because you can store parameters once um, and you just you know apply a new uh, algebraic calculation linear algebraic calculation over the only matrix that you stored when you want to move from one downstream task to the other the second thing that you reduce is the memory that you need to uh, to, inf to do inference for example or even to retrain these models or to fine-tune these models I consider that uh, if you have a, a GPT-3 175 billion parameters, uh, you know, these are models that usually require uh, a terabyte of memory. <laughs> and so when you can reduce uh, a terabyte of memory from a terabyte of memory to, uh, let's say, 300 and, or 350 gigabyte, even though 350 gigabyte is still a lot of memory out there, uh, but, you know, the reduction that you can have is, is incredible. Um, and, you know, if you lower the rank even more, uh, paying a bit the price of, of accuracy for another downstream task, um, you know, you would get uh, roughly 10,000 times less parameters than, than what is needed. Uh, so, you know, this is an impressive uh, benefit that you can get because this, in fact, opens the doors to, uh, you know, uh, much smaller companies and much smaller organizations to conduct research and to compete with the big players. So you don't, you no longer need, um, you know, hundreds of GPUs that can cost a lot of money and uh, uh, or or a lot of cloud infrastructure, a lot of uh, compute power to conduct your experiments. And you know, bear in mind that when you conduct experiments, many of them or even most of them, you just throw them away. Um, you know, because you are, many times this is kind of a trial and error uh, type of science. So um, the amount of money that you spend or, or resources that you spend to uh, you know, accomplish something can be prohibitive for many out there. Uh, another thing that uh, they noticed is 25% uh, speed up during training uh, still on GPT-3, 175 billion parameters compared to full fine tuning. Uh, and that's normal because they don't need to recalculate the gradient for basically majority of the parameters. So they just need to do that for a tiny fraction, the A and B of the equation. Uh, uh, they only need to be retrained. All the rest are gradients that don't need to be recalculated. So there is an important uh, table uh, that I want to mention. And of course, I highly recommend to look at the uh, at the paper, uh, the official paper uh, about LoRa. Uh, but there is table four in the paper um, with title performance of different adaptation methods on GPT-3, 175 uh, billion parameters. And so when you have the fully, uh, fully trained model, you know, of course, trainable parameters are 175 billion. Uh, and some performance benchmarks run on WikiSQL, MNLI, and Samsung uh, or Samsung whatever is, uh, is pronounced. 
but essentially, um, the accuracy on WikiSQL is 73.8%, and the accuracy on uh, MNLI is 89.5%. Uh, and then the accuracy on uh, SAMSUM is 52, 28, and 44, uh, depending on which methodology, which, which uh, data set, uh, that's still accuracy in percentage, okay? With LoRa, the number of trainable parameters becomes something like 4.7 million. So imagine this, from 175 billion to just 4.7 million trainable parameters. This is incredible. And still, the accuracy of the retrained model, the fine-tuned model, on a fraction of the parameters of GPT-3, the original one, is on WikiSQL, remember 73.8? Now we get 73.4. So, you know, this is incredible. And if you increase the number of trainable parameters with LoRa to 37.7 million, which is still something that a regular laptop can support, can do, uh, you get even better performance than the fully <laughs> the fully tuned model, uh, which is uh, 74% accurate in, instead of 73.8 of the original model. Um, and then there are other uh, benchmarks. MNLI, for example, original model 89.5, LoRa 4.7 million, 91.7, already better. 37.7 million, still LoRa, 91.6 even less. So, you know, there is a massive improvement uh, in terms of accuracy, even though the model is a fraction of the original model uh, in terms of number of retrainable parameters. So this is, you know, one of the most important, um, you know, methods out there, in my opinion, because this, in fact, allows uh, many out there, uh, even those who don't have the capacity to retrain models, to just take the uh, pre-trained weights and move from there to another domain overnight so within the day with a decent machine uh, and not you know one of these fancy super clusters with a decent machine within the day you can get from one downstream task to another uh, if you have of course the right data retraining is not a big deal anymore so this is something that is extremely uh, interesting um now, it is known that for many deep learning tasks, especially those with, um, um, you know, many over-parameterized uh, neural networks, the learned neural network will usually have some low-rank properties after training. Uh, so this, is, this was known, in fact, from, I think, 2019, um, some prior work uh, even from 2018 and 2014 were there were some researchers if i find the the links of course i will report some of the uh of the uh, references in the show notes of this episode uh but essentially you know the uh, how over parameterized neural networks behaved it's something that it was known before okay uh so researchers have always been interested in uh you know reducing the number of parameters and reducing that over-parameterization while maintaining uh, the same level of accuracy or the same, you know, good properties, let's say, uh, and power of the model at the same time. And so uh, low-rank structures in deep learning are pretty normal. Um, so researchers were already aware of low-rank structures in deep learning. But, you know, from knowing it to 
uh, proving it and to showing it, in fact, with you know empirically, um, it's a different story. And so that's why I think this paper is very important um, because it proved and it shows uh, that what was an opinion back in 2014 and, and 18, it is in our effect because uh, indeed, whenever we chat with ChatGPT, uh, as a matter of fact, we are using, without knowing, uh, we're using a LoRa-tuned model, for sure. So LoRa is, to conclude, a very efficient adaptation strategy that does two things that are very important. It does not introduce inference latency, uh, which is important when you are dealing with uh, very large models, especially when you want to scale these models and, and serve these models to millions of requests or millions of people out there. And the second thing that it does, it doesn't reduce input sequence length, uh, and this is specific to NLP and language models, uh, while maintaining high model quality, because of course the model is much smaller, but all, you don't want the model to become, you know, stupid let's say stupid quote unquote because you know less accurate let, let me say let, let me put it like that these models are not intelligent this is a matrix multiplication <laughs> don't confuse uh, linear algebra with uh, other things or philosophy or well that's this is not the right place for making these confusions so this is matrices this is linear algebra and what these models and what these methodologies are, are doing is essentially taking advantage of the old good linear algebra. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll speak with you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.